Hey everyone, before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the Blockworks Macro YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. And if you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On The Margin. Today, I am joined, as always, by my magnificent co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Ah, Mark, welcome to the show. Magnificent. I, I thought maybe you were going to use vociferous since you've lost your voice and I'm going to have to do all the talking today. So ah, That would have been so good. That would have been but, so good. Uh, but magnificent works. I, I, I dig that. So mm-hmm. quick reveal. So I got, I got the orange pants on because Bitcoin Friday. But I went back to the, the Bitcoin roller coaster socks. Um, because, you know, we've been going up and down and up and down and in the same spot for a while. Um, but you know, it's crazy. I don't even know if we'll get to talk about, about crypto and Bitcoin today. Cause there's so much macro stuff that, uh, you've put together. And so let's dive right in. There really is quite a bit going on in macro land. I feel like we've been talking a lot about crypto recently, but it's been a, um, it's been a big one in terms of, in terms of, uh, less crypto focused stuff. And what I wanted to talk to you about today to just kick things off, I feel like the big story really is the long end of the yield curve. So, you know, it's been a long time. Obviously, the story of 2022 and into 2023 has been the short end of the yield curve moving up as the Fed has raised interest rates. And, you know, largely what that's led to is an inverted yield curve across all different types of terms, the tens and the twos inverted first, then the three months and the tens, which is the 100% predictor mm-hmm. of recession, which is the Fed's favorite indicator. That's been inverted for a long period of time. But within the last month, we've really seen the, especially the 30-year takeoff. And the reason I think this is a big deal, obviously, there are implications for uh, long-duration asset prices, but also yeah. because we had a little bit of news uh, coming out just in terms of bond issuance. Um, we, you know, there's, there's been a record amount of issuance, which the market is kind of digesting recently. We've also had a downgrade of us debt Mm -hmm. from Fitch. We've gone from triple a to a double a plus. So Mark, what do you make of this pretty seismic move in, in the long run of the curve? Yeah, look, uh, long bonds were up 9%, not that long ago, literally, you know, a couple months ago. And are now down 5% for the year after suffering, you know, one of their worst, if not the worst. It was definitely the worst for the 10-year. I'm not sure it was the worst for the 30-year last year. And I think there's a lot of um, sudden fear, and, and rightfully so, around this idea of, whoa, wait a second. Um default, what's this default word you're talking about? You know, um, the U.S. Treasury can't default. Well, it, it, it can, and it, it doesn't very often, if, if ever. Um, probably way back when in, in history, there may have been something. But, but no, it's, it's, it's not normally seen as, as a, an option. Therefore, the idea of downgrading from AAA to AA kind of seems odd. On the other hand, basic supply and demand, right? The, the price of those bonds is falling because there's excess supply and limited demand. And if that trend continues, which it appears that it's going to at, at the rate that our, our government keeps spending, 
I I think it's not a it's not a full on panic yet, Mike. Yeah. But but it it could turn into one, and panics can get ugly in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't mean to make it sound like it would be a panic. That's that's not really my interpretation either. But you know, it's hard to ignore this sort of this sort of coincidence of the the downgrade in the same uh, week that yeah. Congress the the CBO was talking about you know borrowing more and more and really you know the most the thing that I find very helpful. I mean, I you love I love talking to to bond traders about this kind of stuff because. They just view this as supply and demand. And the question that they always have, right, is who is going to buy all of these treasury bonds? And that that is the question that it seems like the market is asking right now. And it's what I, what I would also you know point to and say is that this is not necessarily just a U.S. story. This is yeah. happening on a global yeah. basis sure. here. So looking at the Japanese government bonds, uh, the the 10-year over there, the JGBs, and that has also jumped quite a bit. And Japan is kind of this, they've made themselves this sort of guinea pig of, you know, monetary policy experimentation. And people watch that quite a bit. I mean, I mean, people really look at Japan as kind of the last real anchor for duration uh, that exists out there. And watching all of these yields creep up at the same time, you know, I've, I've definitely listened to and and a lot of Luke Roman's argument about us being in a sovereign bond market bubble has really resonated with me over the mm-hmm. years. So watching all these yields creep up, especially on the longer end of the curve, doesn't feel great. Yeah, well, here's a couple things that are happening in Japan. I'm glad you bring Japan up. So if I asked listeners, what's the best performing global market this year? Mm. Most people would say the United States, right? Um, very few would say, well, wait a minute, Europe's outperforming the U.S. And and actually Japan is outperforming both of those. And then emerging markets are are a distant, distant fourth. Um, You know, Japan is, stocks have been en fuego. I mean, completely en fuego. And part of that's because their return on invested capital has been the same as U.S. companies. Now, their ROE has been much lower because they're not very capital efficient. They keep too much cash on the balance sheet. They don't do M&A. They don't do restructuring. They let bad businesses kind of just go on. Sounds like what we were doing there for a while. And, um, and so the only way out for Japan for years has been to weaken their currency. And you know, if you asked again, the average person, you know, how's, how's the yen doing this year? Um, I think people would say, oh, I, I, I don't know. It's probably flat. No, it's down 9%. And that linkage between devaluing their currency and appreciating stock market has been really strong for Japan. And part and parcel of that was that Japanese rates, particularly the the 10-year rate, was was kind of capped. There was something called yield curve control. And it was managed by this guy, Hiroka Kurodasan, and he retired. And crazy Kurodasan is gone. They got this new guy. And he said that he was going to give up this, this yield curve control. And now... It looks like a bigger move than it is, but on a percentage basis, it is a gigantic move up in rates. And the real problem 
is as bad as the U.S. government budget deficit is, meaning interest on U.S. government debt now is bumping up against the highest level it has ever been. Okay. Now you think about that. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Well, we, we can't not pay the interest, right? Or then we, we default, which is what Fitch and, and others are, are, you know, making subtle noises about. Well, we can't afford to pay the interest if rates, if we issued all the bonds at zero and now rates are five on their way, maybe to six, how do we pay that interest? Well, this is what Japan has faced. And, and for years, their rates just stayed at zero. They, they just kept them at zero. And Kyle Bass for years would scream about how these guys had to default. And there was no yeah. way they could balance the budget. And they hit 100% debt to GDP, GDP, then 150%, then 200%. And now they're at 225%, 226 or something like that. That's unfathomable for where we are in the US, it's just over a hundred, but but probably prophetic, probably probably the way we're headed. So that's that's a really long-winded way of saying, I try to save your voice, that <laughs> you know, all central banks are facing the same problem. And it's a problem of their own creation. And it's, I will argue, an intentional act, not an unintentional act, because Governments, as they consolidate power, spend. Why do they do that? Well, because it's profitable for them and their cronies. And, you know, I, I was amazed. I actually was amazed by this, that I think it was Mitch McConnell actually said on television, don't worry about all this money that's going to Ukraine. It's, it's not going to, to the Ukrainians. It's going to us. It's going to our companies to you know, buy bullets and bombs and stuff. So, wow, we just admitted that it's just graft and corruption. So that proclivity to spend isn't going away. But here's the, here's the little problem. And, and, and Lynn Alden pointed this out. And I don't know if, if she sourced it or if she took it from someone else. It doesn't really matter. But, but she, she's the one that I'm stealing it from. Uh, U.S. tax receipts just plunged to the lowest level ever. Now, not in dollars, but in, in rate of change. And that is bad, right? Because if you're spending too much and you're not bringing in enough revenue, what happens? Well, what Fitch says, in theory, you, you could default. Now, they're not going to default because that would be disastrous if the global risk-free asset suddenly had risk. But um, I think it, it means a lot of things for global currencies, I think, are going to continue to weaken. Therefore, it actually has implications for Bitcoin, which, remember, Bitcoin doesn't change. One Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. It's just the price that we price it in changes, the, the asset that we price it in changes. And those are all, I think, going to get worse which means the value of things like gold and silver and, and uh, did you, but collectibles. Did you see the, the guy with the Lord of the Rings one of one card no. video? No, what happened? Oh my God. So, um, you know, Magic the Gathering printed this, this new release of, of cards and they did a one of one 
uh, ring, like from Lord of the Rings. And some guy got it and he did a video. His hand was like shaking because this card's worth $2.6 million. And these, that's the, the, the quoted price that someone said they'd pay for it. And that, that piece of cardboard in no way, shape or form is worth $2.6 million, right? But that's not the point. Yeah. Supply and demand dictates that there's somebody, obviously, who wants that piece of cardboard. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's endemic of the problem with money right now. Money has very little value to people. It, it's, well, there's a, there's this reflexive nature in between the currency and debt markets of a country. Yeah. And I think what no one wants to see is that flywheel start to work in the wrong direction. One, one thing that I'm reminded of looking at this is, you know, there is a, Michael Cow has done a very good job of highlighting uh, some, you know, something called the bear market steepener uh, as opposed yeah. to a bull market steepener. Right? Mm -hmm. And this refers to changes in uh, different, um, you know, uh, parts of the of the yield curve where you know when you have an inverted yield curve what you can get is either a bull mark like a bullish or sort of a bearish steepener the steepener being long ends of the of the curve rising relative to the short ends of the curve in in a bullish sense what that would look like is the low the shorter end of the curve getting lower because the fed is cutting interest rates that is something that you would ideally like to see and that's something if you're an investor in stocks that you'd say, okay, well, this is probably around the time that I should be yeah. buying because yeah. when the Fed cuts rates, typically the market will go up. Then there is a bearish steepener, which is when the long end of the, the curve rises, but the short end stays exactly where it is. And there are two reasons why that might be, which is one, that the market is either worried about inflation, typically, because the payments that you're going to get along a 30-year period of time are worth less. So investors say, I don't care about the extra yield. I'm just going to sell these bonds. Yep. Or it is that they're worried about stocks in the short term as well, or just, just want to get out of the market. So I think what we're seeing here, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, is a bearish steepener. For sure. For sure. And you've seen that in, in the equity market, the reaction this week. It's, it's been a you know crappy technical term, uh, five days for, or four days, about to be five, for, for equities. And and people say, oh, but you know, it's 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 they're still up, you know, 20% for the year. Yeah, for now. And um I think what, what gets lost in, in translation here is the cumulative effect of all of these um bigger macro issues. You know, you have you have issues related to to growth and Employment, right? We're going to have a, a jobs report. I mean, while we're recording this, there's there's going to be a jobs report, and um, you know that will give some information content. You have all kinds of indicators. You had the GDP print that was kind of in line with with what you know Fed now said, and it was a reasonably strong number. Um, nice rebound from from what it was a year ago. I mean, a year ago, I'll still argue and I'll still contend that, that we had a recession, right? It was shallow, like 2001. It was 0.9% year-over-year growth for 2022. That is, by all definition, a recession. That's below stall speed. We had two negative quarters, first and second. And we don't call it a recession because the, you know, the NBER decided not to. Fine, whatever. But this is definitely a recovery. But now the question is, 
are those rising rates on the long end an indication that, wow, things are really getting better and things are going to heat up to your point is there's going to be, there's going to be, you know, lots of growth and there's going to be inflation and we got to, we got to tamp this thing down and, and the, the Fed's going to have to come in and, and uh, raise rates. I don't, I don't know. Although I, I, I will say again, it's just anecdotal, but uh, traveled again this weekend. My father-in-law just had his 87th birthday. You know, congrats, George. And uh, we went down to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma and flew through Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh my God, Michael. Charlotte was a zoo. I mean, zoo. So clearly people are feeling flush enough to, to travel. And um, I don't know, I... I, I'm struggling with the, the too bearish case because, again, I said it last week. I, you know, I was wrong. I, I thought we would have an extension of the weakness from 2022. I thought we'd have a, a meaningful recession this year like everybody else in the world. And, um, no, just wrong. Uh, I, 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 I've been interested to watch a few people just double down and say, no, no, it's coming. It's coming. I, I've been there before. Don't don't double down. Just admit you're wrong. It's okay. It's, it's All right. I so let me let me show you two charts uh, because I I've had this little. I think this is the way that it works now. I don't think this is the way that this will always work into the future. But it's been my sort of observation that crypto tends to front run equities, and I think because everything is one big trade right now, and it's mostly based on rates and liquidity. So. Let me let me show you. This is the the chart of Bitcoin in the last basically two years. And to walk you through it, you know, we had this big sort of run up. And right, this this 20 to 2020 to 2021 period was kind of based on the halving cycle and regular crypto cycles, kind of based on this nuts liquidity thing that the Fed was doing and you know, yeah. in, in injecting trillions of dollars into the market. Then this and was GBTC. around the most of that and was GBTC. And G, that was GBTC too, the, hit, the, the leverage, which is what it always is. So then you kind of had Elon say, oh, nope, we got to sell our Bitcoin because of this and China <laughs> banned it for the you know 13th time. Then it sold off and it looked like we were getting a leg up. But if you were participating in crypto during this time, this did not feel like a good time. This, this felt like mm-hmm. a lot of scammy kind of rotations. You were kind of, you know, you were seeing stuff go up, but you didn't have a lot of, you kind of knew in your gut that something didn't feel right, but the prices kept going up. So you thought, you know what, who am I to say? I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe this is a continuation of the bull market. Yep. And then of course, after this second peak here is when we really rolled off and we had to face reality. And now we're in a rebuilding phase. This is the chart of NASDAQ. Today. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, now this this is again just anecdotal, but guys, if you're following along via video here, we had this insane peak right around the end of you know uh, 2021, beginning of 2022. It rolled off similarly to that crypto chart. We had you know a good run at making an all time high again. We're close to where we are. You know, it's been a great first half of the year, but this could just look like one of those bear market rallies that you hear about and. Then I try to then I try to ask myself like okay well what are the bullish you know why why could this very simple heuristic be wrong what could be wrong well yeah. why is the stock market doing well well stock market is really seven stocks right now that's driving everything up so it's hard to feel super good about that 
Then the other thing that's been more resilient than everyone has thought about is the employment rate, right? That's something that you hear well, that, you yeah. know, people still need jobs, but that's the most lagging indicator. That's what everyone criticized the Fed for, you know, in 2021. It was like, why do you have your foot on the gas still when, when inflation and CPI is creeping up above 5%? Well, unemployment was still higher than they would ultimately like based on their mandate. Well, then aren't yeah. we doing the same thing? Aren't we looking in the rear view mirror here as well? So I don't know. I, I hear you on the, you know, I trust the market wisdom here and, and years of experience and you got to just hang it up and admit when you're wrong. But for me, it feels a little early to, to hang it up because. Oh, okay. Know. Different, different. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm not hanging it up on, on equities being wildly overvalued. Mm. Not hanging that up. I mean, they are, mm. I mean, the, the problem with, with markets, particularly gamified markets yeah. But the markets of the last 20 years are very different than the previous 140. They just are. And that's because technology has moved the incremental investor away from Wall Street onto Main Street. And, and not just Main Street US, but you know, Main Street Russia and China and you know, Israel and, and everybody else. And so the the gamification. That's totally real. And the, the other piece that's real is the boomers, you know, myself included, the boomers rigged the system, right, by creating this passive wave. And Mike Green and others have talked about this ad, ad infinitum, but it's real in the sense that every two weeks, the vast majority of people's retirement, right, gets invested into mutual funds. And the mutual fund companies wrote the law to make that happen. And now most of that money goes into an S&P 500 index fund because that's the choice that you have. They don't give you a lot of choices and that's the biggest choice. And, and so it's a, it is a reflexive, self-fulfilling prophecy and it's because today Microsoft and Apple make up 15, 1.5% of the S&P. And it's like 30% of NASDAQ. I think that number's right. I mean, it's, it's a crazy percentage. So every time yeah. that money comes in, the money doesn't get to think. It doesn't say, you know, I think <laughs> Amazon at 300 times earnings is a little rich. I'm not going to buy that today. Nope. It doesn't get to do that because it's dumb. And I don't mean unintelligent. I mean, rule-based. It must hit the bid and buy. And so that is going to keep happening. And as long as that happens, that momentum feeds on itself. And, and then you get the short squeeze, right? Again, in the old days, <clears throat> like only 30 years ago, it's not that long ago. 30 years ago, there are these people, Jim Chanos and others, that were the, the watchdogs of the, the lunacy. So the lunacy would happen. People would get ebullient and they would buy things and you know, they'd push micro strategy to a level that never should have got it, 330 bucks. And the short sellers would come and say, that's wrong. And I'll take the other side. And, uh, 
and and they would push things back to normal. And and you know people like Julian Robertson and George St- George Soros and Michael Steinhardt and all these great long short equity managers built amazing firms, basically providing the services watchdog guard dog, mm. and and it was glorious. Well, that those days are gone because of high frequency trading and and Ken Griffin now is the largest stock lender. Why would anyone? borrow a stock from Ken because you know he's going to squeeze the crap out of you on the other side because he's a market maker. So why would you do that? But people do. And, and so we've had the largest short covering in the history of markets this year, 2023. And that's what's driving. And again, that is not real demand. That is dumb, rule-based, forced demand. Yeah. And that problem is 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 it's it's acute. And to your point, it did break in that first wave down, right? When when crypto broke and 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 everything broke and we went into this basically, like you said, the market is a leading indicator. The market knew the 2022 was a recession. The market declined 20 plus percent, right? That's what markets do when there's a recession. And so the market told you that there was a recession. Now, the market also told you that the recession was over and that we were recovering, but then it accelerated. And now we've had no increase in earnings. We've had no increase in E, but we've had a massive increase in P. And so our PE ratio, our multiple expansion has gotten to levels, again, that are just in Stupidville. And how long can they stay in Stupidville? Longer than, you know, the rational person can remain solvent usually. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of Blockworks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but Blockworks Research is the most blue chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code MARGIN10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. Yeah, I want to move on to the jobs report here because that'll just have gone live. But, you know, one one you know, just a compliment to what we were describing before, Mark, is is look at the, what we're looking at right now is a chart of uh, fiscal excess. So this is U.S. federal government outlays. It's a 12-month rolling sum. And we're looking at this going all the way back to 2001. This is provided to us from Bank of America and Bloomberg. And first of all, it's obviously an alarming sum that you can see. It's it's first of all, it's just going up on a year-over-year basis, <laughs> going out from 2001 to 2021. But then, you know, it really peaks in COVID. And then you can see that from 2021 to 2022, it turned around. But then starting in just before 2023, that number has started to move up again. And it just, 
you know, Lynn Alden's been on the program talking about this. She's done a great job blasting this message out over Twitter. But yeah, what fiscal and monetary policymakers are doing right now are at odds with one another. And this might be a very good explanation for why in the same time that we're hiking rates and everything seems so bearish, the stock market is going up because the government keeps spending. And we have put ourselves in this weird pickle where, you know, uh, you know, 2020 was a very odd situation, right? A global pandemic is a very weird thing to have to deal with. They really floored the money printer. We had a weird stock market boom during probably an economic recession. And now when we're facing the other side of that, it, you know, usually what we would do is spend more in a period of recession, but we've already been spending like drunken sailors. So I guess yeah. we just keep doing that. I now, don't know. I mean, so go back to that chart for one sec. So yeah. It's a it's a a minor chart crime. It's not a major chart crime because it's I knew you were going to you know it's it's not long enough to be a major chart crime. But any chart over ten years has to be That's log scale, and mm-hmm. and this isn't so that that increase in twenty one. I mean in twenty looks bigger than it is, right? Mm. Um, you know, because going from a hundred to two hundred is the same as going from four hundred to eight hundred. Right. But that said, that said, even if this was log scale and it was tilted from 30 degrees to 45 degrees, that that 2020 MMT, right, the cult of Kelton kind of we're going to hide behind the lockdowns. or We're going to do this, this stupid thing. I mean, literally stupid. Um, look, half the money in the history of our republic, 247 years, was printed over an 18 month period. It's just a crazy stat. And to your point, they got some religion and said, yeah, okay, this wasn't the best idea. Um, so let's take some back. And then SVB happened. And now they mm-hmm. are increasing M2 again. And when you increase the supply of money, what do people do? They spend $2.6 million on, po- on uh, Magic the Gathering cards. That's what they do. You're, you know, Mark, I don't, yeah, I mean, no, no, I completely agree with that. And at some point we have to find a more enduring solution here than just print money. <laughs> and, and I, yeah, a more enduring solution than printing money out of thin air. That, that, that would actually be really good. Dis, discipline would be a good start, but, but we're not going to get that in the current system. And, and look, this is, this is beating a dead horse, but we need term limits we need to get the career politicians out of office. We need to get the people who are dependent on, on graft and corruption, right? Because, and I, and I don't mean they're bad, evil people. Some probably are, but, but the average person who gets elected says, well, look, I don't have $100 million to become a senator. Oh, these nice people over here are willing to give me money to, to get elected. That's so cool. Yeah. And then you get elected and, and they show up at your office. We have some things that you're going to do now. Like, well, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm here to govern. I'm here to do what the people want. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, we paid for this and, and we are now going to get what we want. And that's the way it works. And until we fix that, we're not going to stop this. And, and you can see the, 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 what, what's going to happen in the future. It's, it's not pretty. Yeah. Right? I think there's also a way that you can construct this, actually. I, I don't disagree, by the way, that there's, I'm sure, some 
corruption in government in the US, just like there is in every government, because everyone, you know, we're all governed by humans. But I think you could actually construct a version of what's happened, even ignoring that, that, that um, inevitability, which is, you know, sometime, maybe in the last 20 years or something, we, we, the economy stopped growing at the expected rate that we all wanted it to grow at. And if you are in charge in that situation, you've got a couple of sort of unpleasant choices, right? You've, you've got, you can either deliver the message that no one is willing to hear or understand at that point that maybe those promises that we made to you in terms of entitlements and pensions and mm-hmm. what we said was going to happen in the future, uh, you know, we based that on a period of time where we were growing faster than we're growing now. So everyone's got to tighten up their, their belt, their belts. And, mm-hmm. you know, people don't listen to that. People just will not listen to that message. So then you've got kind of door number two or three and you say, well, what I can do here is try to reorganize the economy in such a way where I will incentivize what I hope is some kind of new technology that takes us back to that, mm-hmm. to that way of growing. And, and that's what printing money is. You know, it, it, it takes a little while to like really wrap your mind around what that is. It's the kind of thing, there's a, there's a pie out there and you can cut the pie in more slices, but you're not creating more pie. You are divvying up the pie in a different way yep. than it was divvied up before. And that's what I think the government has tried to do with good intentions to incentivize the creation of something that was going to be a, a growth machine. Yep. And I, 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 I just don't think it really ended up materializing. And now we're kind of halfway through that that plan or that that series of events. And I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. But but I want I want to zone into something a little bit more. But we're concrete. not. No, no, no. Okay, we're we're not. This this goes mm-hmm. back to you know my my summer trip right um, yeah. to Spain, Portugal, and stuff. I mean, we're not going to get out of it. Mm. No country ever does, right? We we don't we don't all speak Turkish, right? The Ottoman Empire ruled the world for a long time. We don't all speak Italian. The Roman Empire ruled the world for a long time. We don't all speak English. A lot of people speak English, but you know, the British Empire ruled the world for a long time. Um, and, you know, Portuguese Empire, right? Portugal was the most powerful country in the world mm. for almost a hundred years, and only a couple countries speak Portuguese. Not not very many. So. And now America is that empire. And that empire is going to go the same way as all the other empires. Because empires mm-hmm. tend toward centralized cronyism. It's just what they do. Because you're it, we're human. And humans don't change. That's the, that's the amazing thing. And, and again, you're a student in history. You quote people all the time from 2,600 years ago. <laughs> they say the same things that people are saying today. How can that be? Yeah, I just, it was funny. I was I was I was channel surfing um, this weekend, and and we came across Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which is actually not an awful movie. And I mean, it's it's campy, and but but the the premise of it is a little bit interesting. And and you know they pick up Socrates, right, Socrates, and and they bring him back to to real time. And you know they do this little thing where he, he's talking and. And they're talking about some stuff and they're quoting music lyrics from, you know, the, the seventies and eighties. And so crates is turning them into, you know, things that we've heard for 2,600 years, uh, in, in pithy commentary. And, 
it's the same thing because humans have the same needs, the same wants, the same desires, the same brain. And I, I think we're not going to change that and we're not going to get out of this. And printing money to try to get out of a problem of overspending and, and corruption is going to lead to the same thing it always does. I agree. The devaluation of the currency. We don't all spend, right, lira or, yeah, I don't, uh, well, that would be what, Turkey. So that was lira for the, I don't think it was, I don't know what the Ottomans spent. Um, but we don't all spend solidises, right, the Roman currency. Um, I have a solidus. It's like a trinket. It's not worth anything. Um, but it's just that that's going to happen. And, and I think the downgrade and, and the acknowledgement that things are not, not rosy are just chipping away at that patina that, that eventually will, you know, a couple hundred years from now, people will tour it and think, Oh, that's really nice. Mm. I, you know, I wish I could fundamentally disagree with you there, but yeah, cycles <laughs> of history. All right, Mark, I want to, I want to get your expectations. here. We've had a job report come out. Don't look at the numbers. I want to give you the expectations first. So what what the what the people are expecting is in July there are going to be 200,000 jobs added, uh, which is basically the same as it was in June, yep. and the unemployment rate is going to remain at 3.6%. Forecasters estimate wage gains eased very slightly in July. Um other recent data showed uh, employer spending on pay and benefits rose more slowly in the second quarter than last year. And as a reminder, we had a hot report from ADP. So non-farm payrolls, this is this is not the same thing. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they they are sometimes correlated, but I could show you this chart here. I actually yeah. show you this chart. Which no, will NFP show you that uses uses birth death and right, right. I look, I, I I'll 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 say what I, I've been saying for the last couple of years. The birth death ratio is wrong. It's wrong that we're using it, one. And it's right. wrong in the sense that, again, it's saying that we're in the whatever year, eighth year, ninth year, I can't even count anymore, of an economic expansion. Therefore, this many companies are created and this many companies go away. It's clearly just not true. Either true. we're in a recession, which probably not. Or we're in the first year of an economic expansion. And so the things that we would observe, right, which are record numbers of bankruptcies, right, not record numbers of new company formation, but record number of bankruptcies, that's actually happening. So the birth-death ratio skews all this NFP stuff. And the NFP number is going to come in better than expected and, and not like crazily, but it's going to come in better than expected. And the and the worst part, the unemployment rate is going to be sticky down because they're doing two things wrong. One, they're taking now. I'm not there yet, but you know, I just turned sixty. Pretty soon, I'm going to get taken out of the workforce. But I'm not going to stop working. I'm going to go to work because my wife says I can't be in her office, so I got to go to my office. And but when you turn a certain age you are taken out of the workforce, irregardless of the fact that you're still working. That's just dumb. I mean, that's just a dumb system. And again, it's rules-based. That's yeah. also intelligent. That's also an intelligent. 
but this this idea that that the unemployment rate is down because so many boomers are turning 71 and a half and we take them out of the workforce. So the remaining employees are a higher percentage of, of a, a shrinking workforce. Mind blows. Yep. So you're right there. So we had July in non-farm payrolls for July. It's 187,000 versus an expectation of 200,000. But the unemployment rate is down 0.1% to 3.5 from 3.6. We've fallen uh, 10 basis points. And and earnings came in hot as well. So average hourly earnings are up month over month 0.4% against an expectation of 0.3. And year over year, that translates to 4.4% against the expectation of 4.2%. And the other thing to keep in mind on the year over year numbers is that we're about to start running into base effects. There was there are periods of time where base effect works for and against us. We are about to move into a period on inflation where base effects are going to start working against us. So it's going to be harder to print good year over year numbers. I would say this isn't good. And um, it probably points to a slightly stickier situation than the Fed would ultimately like to see. Usually, usually Bitcoin is the thing that moves first on on these announcements yeah. these days, and it's not really moving right now. So yeah. maybe it's not a big deal. But well, no, no. I mean, it it is a big deal in the sense of, I mean, it's not a it's not a giant miss or or beat, um, right? But it's 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 an extension of these trends, and and I think my 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 interpretation is that. The Bitcoin is is in this roller coaster while I wear the socks today because mm-hmm. we have this tug of war going on between the expansion of M2. So we're quietly not doing QT like we, we said we were. And, and so we're, we're expanding the balance sheet again. Um, we're lending money to these banks to keep them solvent. Yet another one goes bankrupt, it seems like, every week. And and that's going to continue, particularly if if the long rates keep going up, those those unrealized losses will become realized at some point, um, and more people can have to raise equity. So so the banking problem is probably not over. And you've been talking about that, you know, for months. So, but the the other competing force is that the Fed looking at this data is like, geez, I got to keep raising freaking rates, yeah, and. If you, if you raise rates, in theory, that contracts money supply. But that's the, that's the part that people are missing, is rates have risen a lot. But you showed the chart. Money supply is going up. And it's partly monpal, but mostly it's fiscal pal. And it's that one-two punch where we are just, we're just flooding the system. Yeah. It, yeah, to your point about history, I mean, tale as old as time, none of this is new. None of this is new. None of this is new. And, and, and look, and that's okay because the other thing that's, that's not new, and again, we'll, we'll go from Sinister Saturday to, to Sunshine Saturday, is the stuff that's also not new, innovation and optimism. You know, it's cool. I, I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. Uh, mm. Love Simon, and you know if, if you've never watched his video on the why, you should. I mean, it's like the best 13 minutes you'll you ever watch. It's a TED TED Talk, and uh, he said, and he he runs something called the Optimism Company, 
And he says that orange is the color of optimism and that you should always have orange on your body. I'm like, that's cool. So I have my orange pants, you know, I have the little orange uh, flash on my, on my watch band. I like that. And so every day I actually do wear something orange and mm-hmm. he does too. And, and uh, I just bought my wife an orange watch band and, um, and it looks really good. But I, I think it's interesting in that one of the things he talks about is optimism and, and uh, the, the desire to see things better is human. Yeah. And that is what drives innovation and progress. And, and yeah, you got lots of examples of the bad people suppressing that, um, you know, all kinds of, of crazy stuff with dictators and, and wars. But we're in a time period, interestingly, where, you know, kinetic war is at an all-time low. Okay, it's not, not eradicated, but it's an all-time low. And uh, we've got this interesting dynamic globally of a focus on innovation and technological progress. And I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a new renaissance of, 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 of uh, in, in certain sense. Um, and we look at it as this transformation to the digital age, the ABCDs, right? AI, blockchain, chips, and data. Those four things are the transformational building blocks, like ATCG, mm. the building blocks of life. It's a little, little extreme, but I like it. Um, the four building blocks of the digital age are going to be used. And look, AI is not going to solve everything. It's like every earnings call. Oh, we do AI. Oh, we're integrating AI. Yeah, really? Really? You're like sell bagels. Tell me how you're doing about AI. Um, but, mm. but AI is not new. It's been around for a long time, but elements of AI are, are new and innovations around the use. And, and it's really the overlap of those areas, right? The perfect is the ikigai, where all four overlap in the middle, where you get AI blockchain chips and data, things like fully homomorphic encryption and, and other things. All of these things are going to make life significantly better. They're going to create incredible amounts of wealth. And, and they're going to drive consumption and, and a lot of good stuff. So that's, that's also human. Hey, everyone. We'll get back to the show in a minute, but just wanted to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up. This is the one that we do with Bankless. It is the biggest and best conference in DeFi. It's going to be in Austin, Texas this year, September 11th through the 13th. Now, you've heard me say this many times on our show before, but the time to be bearish on crypto was 18 months ago when the Fed began raising rates. Since then, our entire market is down more than 50%. We've had all this bad news. In the last two weeks, we had BlackRock and a whole slew of other institutional investors file for a Bitcoin ETF. This space is not going anywhere. So if you're interested in investing in the space at all, I highly recommend that you attend this conference. The other thing, and I've said this before as well, brand market conferences are the best ones. In the fall market, you have all this retail, all this noise. Now you only have the people that are really here building great products. This one is worth your time 100%. And since you are such good listeners to On Margin, which I really appreciate, giving you all a special 30% discount code. It is Margin30. Now you can access that by clicking the link in the bottom of the show notes. So you can see my fingers pointing down, click that link. Because you are a listener of On the Margin, you get 30% off to the conference. Again, the code is Margin30. We'll see y'all there. I am optimistic as well. And maybe that's a good... So 
I remain a long-term optimist. I, in terms of the stock market in particular, I probably, and look, I could be wrong about all of this stuff. I feel like I just want to impart my opinion and then I will update it as we get more and more information. But it's hard to, you know, we, we I don't, I want to get into earnings, so I don't want to cover yeah. oil, but oil yeah. is also moving up. And it's funny, Jesse Felder came on the show as the interview portion this week, and he referenced this period of this Stan Druckenmiller 2001 period that I have been a broken, like a cuckoo clock about just talking about this period of time. And the setup just looks extremely similar to that, to, to me, to me. So I, you know, I actually- Oh my gosh, no, Michael, it, it is. Look, 2001, shallow recession. No one was ever going to fly again because of 9-11. And what happened? Oil collapsed. Everybody said it's over. Airline companies went to zero. Cruise companies went to zero. And then what happened? People got back on airplanes because we're optimistic, right? Yeah. Right. That's not going to happen again. There's not going to be another, you know, World Trade Center. And there wasn't. And people got back on cruise ships. And, but the problem is, it's the destruction of supply in that retrenchment that causes, sows the seeds of, of the future problem. And this is exactly what we happen here, is you, you jack up interest rates and you cut off the lifeblood, right? The debt for some of these companies that are barely struggling to survive to, to drill. Like I said, I was just down in, in the oil patch. And look, you go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, life is good. Life is good. I mean, tons of oil. I mean, we go to this one place called Utica Square, and it's it's in the middle of Catholic ghetto where my my in laws live, and it's like Range Rover after Range Rover after Range Rover after giant. My my brother my my, my nephew, not my brother, my nephew, um, did this. There's a cool company. I can't remember the name of it. It's like you rent cars from other people instead of from Hertz. Mm. And so I'm driving around in my little you know Edge that I got from uh, uh, Hertz. And he pulls up in this gigantic, I mean, eight feet high if it was an inch, dually, like, you know, the two wheels in the back, F-350 something with the big fat tires. And he was paying less than I was to rent from Hurt, but that's that's what these people spend their money on. And it it's because oil gas is has been been a good business for them but nice. I, I i think the 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 supply destruction is real and the demand is rising like that post 2001 period and you know i don't think we have to have a super peak but triple digits are definitely possible yeah all right, I want to give you a an overview of some like big tech earnings. We're in the middle of big tech earnings season here and it's been a little mixed. There've been some beats on the in the form of Meta and some misses in the form of Microsoft and Netflix. We've got Apple and Amazon. And Apple's really the big one, right? That's the 3 trillion dollar yep. approaching company. Um so they had a beat on revenue and EPS, so they did 81.8 billion uh against an estimate of 81.5. EPS uh, for uh, Q3 um, is 1.26 versus 1.2. They did miss revenue for iPads and uh, products revenue and iPhone revenue, um, but the the Mac revenue, I guess, is what sort of saved the day and and carried us to a beat. The Amazon 
uh, was really pretty blowout in terms of what their stock has done. And I think what people were looking towards there was the guidance that they offered for QT uh, for Q3. So net sales between they see between net sales between 138 and 143 billion, uh, or to grow between nine and 13 percent compared with Q3 of 2022. Uh, that's well above the consensus estimate of 138.3 billion, um, and they see operating income between 5.5 and 8.5 compared with 2.5 in the third quarter of 2022. So, you know. Pretty good, pretty damn good in terms of uh, big tech earnings season here, and maybe this could point to the fact that the economy is actually slightly more resilient than than we had given credit to. Coinbase is the one that I want to. Oh, unless you have comments there. No, no, I was going to say part of it is is that base effect, right? If the stuff you're buying on Amazon costs more, their earn their revenues are, are going to be higher. So right. why we never adjust for that, I'll never know. But um, that the People are are buying lots of stuff. They're you know I get a box on my porch every day, so there's stuff being bought, and um, uh, I, I I agree that the consumption flywheel has has been kept alive uh, through government handouts and that fiscal spending that you showed, and I don't think it's going to stop. So I'm, yeah. I'm, Let's talk a little bit about Coinbase. I, it's hard for me to really comment. I'm not an analyst of Apple and Amazon, just they're bellwethers of the economy. So it's interesting to point out. But the the Coinbase earnings was pretty blowout. And that was, blowout maybe is a little bit of an exaggeration, but it was a beat. It was a beat. It was, and a, blowout. It was a blowout versus expectations. Versus, uh, yeah, versus expectations is exactly the right way to phrase it. So yeah. uh, 707.9 million was the second quarter number. That beat estimates of 663 million. The one of the interesting parts of this, you know, what? I'm actually just going to share my screen here because I'm looking at the uh, actual quarterly numbers. One of the interesting things about this particular period of earnings was that, you know, for years, right? I mean, what Coinbase has taken a lot of flack for over the years is you guys charge egregious fees, especially on the consumer part of your transaction revenue. So, Coinbase has two big buckets in terms of their overall revenue. They break it into transaction revenue. So that's the fees that they get on trading for, and they break that out uh, between consumers and institutional. Consumers uh, pay very high fees to trade on Coinbase. And then there is a subscription and services bucket, which is a couple of different things. It's blockchain rewards, which is basically staking, mm -hmm. custodial fee revenue, which is the fee that people pay to custody of Coinbase, interest income, which comes from their partnership with uh, Circle, the Center Consortium, and USDC, and then Other, which is sort of a mix of Coinbase One and a whole bunch of other stuff. So for years, what analysts have been beating up on Coinbase for is your guys' transaction revenue is going to fall. And you know this isn't a sustainable thing. It's going to be a race to zero the same way that it is in trad markets. And Coinbase has said, we are going to take this subscription and services part of our business, and we're going to grow that substantially. And even as someone who roots for Coinbase and is a bull on crypto, I've always said, okay, you know, good, good luck with, with good luck that. with that. And this is the first quarter where they had 327 million in transaction revenue and 335, so more subscription and services revenue than transaction revenue. They've completely shifted the the profile of their or the their their revenue mix uh, in yeah. in about a year, which is very very impressive. So. Yeah. 
good for Coinbase. Um, no, it's good. I look, leadership there has been fantastic. Uh, courage, unbelievable, right? Just taken on the chin, on the chin, on the chin from the SEC, from the media, from from everybody. And, and they just keep doing what they said they were going to do. They just keep executing. They're doing it flawlessly. Uh, you know, for all, for all the, the things that we kind of take for granted, you know, centralized finance or, or TradFi is something that, that we just all take for granted, right? You know, our, our brokerage firm works, our bank works. And so what Coinbase really has done is they've become the equivalent of that in the digital world. And, you know, you can, you can debate and argue, you know, this is that, this is that, this is security, this is not a security, this is, at the end of the day, um, that's all going to be taken care of by the law. Judges are going to rule, like the judge that ruled on, on the Ripple case. And it was like, oh, it's a total victory. No, it's not a total victory. I mean, Garlinghouse and the foundation are going to have to pay a big fine. Now it's going to be the JP Morgan-like fine, right? Relative to their total net worth, it's going to be a small number, but it's going to be a big number headline. But the more important ruling was that all the subsequent trades between people like you and me, not, not securities. And so that is a monster victory for Coinbase, Kraken, other, other exchanges that, that want to allow people to, to trade. And this idea that, that somehow those people are doing something wrong, I'll put in my plug for free Ross, right? So Ross wrote some code, created a website, and some people exchanged some bad stuff, illegal stuff. Okay. Should he be punished? Sure. Should he have two life sentences? Hell freaking no. I mean, <laughs> no. He wasn't the drug dealer. I mean, yeah, he, he built a marketplace, but but that's like saying that, you know, the marketplace for weapons of mass destruction that happens and the government selling them to other governments to blow up other people, are those people being persecuted or prosecuted? No. But mm. anyway, so the marketplaces are going to exist. And CFI, centralized finance, in between DeFi, which is where we all want to be in the long run, and permissionless and all that working towards that. Uh, free plug for you. Um, and uh, so be there, be square. Um, permissionless, guys. Austin, Texas, September 11th through the 13th. Biggest and best DeFi and crypto conference in the world. Mark is going to be there. We're going to talk. We've got a great institutional track. We've got DeFi. We've got culture. We've got it all. Be there. All right. Yeah. And, and why would you not want to be in Austin in September? Yeah. I mean, margin beautiful. It's you 30% off on a ticket. That's a little bit of on the margin beautiful. for you there. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, but but I think the, the the centralized finance function for people like my dad, and you know, I was helping my nephew set up an account this this week. Um, that's that's just a better way for now. And yeah, should everyone put it on a ledger and do self-custody and be your own bank? Yeah, long term, sure. Yeah. But and and look, my I talk about this all the time. My granddaughter, right, who's six months old, seven months old, she's never gonna have a leather wallet. She's never gonna touch paper money. She's only gonna have a ledger or whatever, you know, device replaces the the iPhone. And she's going to transact in crypto. That that that's 
going to happen. It'll never happen. Watch. Yeah. Rewind this in 17 years when, you know, she gets her, you know, her license and she probably won't be driving. She actually won't be driving. She'll be driven um, by autonomous vehicles. But um, we need better edge computing first. But uh, that's coming. Yeah. Just talked to a really cool company about that, by the way. And that, that goes to this ABCDs, right? You can't have autonomous driving until you have better edge computing. You can't have better edge computing until we have better chips. We can't have better chips until we have better AIs and, and the, the processing of data and software to link it all together. That's yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, I agree with you, Mark. And, you know, to just drive it home with Coinbase earnings, the couple things to watch there is Coinbase announced their international, that they were expanding internationally. And they, in just about a month, they've onboarded 50 institutional clients, done over $5.5 billion in terms of notional volume. So very promising early start and, a, you know, something that could turn into a big revenue driver for them. The other and thing too, they've, they've got their base chain, which is a layer two that they've built on the OP stack. What I want to say here, I've actually got some numbers here for you, but OP, so what this is driven in terms of fees already is $700,000 worth of profit. So that is transaction fees minus the cost of posting that data to the layer one. Mm-hmm. $700,000 in three days, that's $85 million in profit extrapolated over the course of the year. Now, there was kind of a meme coin bonanza. There was actually a yeah, bald it won't, meme it token won't, that launched. It's it won't not, be that's linear, but, but it'll be a big number. And then, Michael, there was this little tiny company. I can't remember their name. And they're they're about to do an ETF for Bitcoin. And they they picked Coinbase as their custodian. What was the name of that company again? Might have been Black, black something. Black, 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 Black. Black, Rock? Black, Rock. Black Rock. That's it. Black Rock. Yeah. So, so again, could have chosen anybody they wanted to, right? And who'd they choose? A firm being sued by the SEC. Why? Because they're the best. And you choose the best. If you're the best, which arguably BlackRock is, I mean, whether you like them or not, they arguably they are the best because they're the biggest mm-hmm. and have been most successful at implementation um, and, ga- and asset gathering. But they, when they get approved, and they will get approved, and I think they'll jump over the other ones that should get approved first, but, but we'll see what happens. But when they get approved, that money's going to Coinbase, and Coinbase is going to yeah. make fees, and they're going to make big fees because there's going to be a lot of money. And, you know, again, I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, but the GBTC ramp that we saw will pale in comparison to the BlackRock ramp. Yeah. So you heard it here first for uh, right. folks. Heard and, it here for, uh, as, as many things people hear her first, if they actually listen every week. And by the way, the people that do, I, I love them, love you and who are listening. And it just, it's so humbling, right? That people spend their Saturday mornings with us and, and really grateful for that. Completely agree. Mark, as always, best hour of my week, my friend. I will see you here same time next Absolutely. week. Absolutely. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers.